Well, we are uh, still in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. This is, like, I think, week number 3 in Luke 1. It is a very long chapter. But we are still there. So if you want, if I interrupt you Bibles, it's page uh, 1012, 1013. We'll be uh, going a little bit, uh, living in those two pages this morning. And we've been looking at people who were encountered with the coming of Christ. And today we're looking at... Um, Mary, Mary, the mother of Christ. But to start with, I want to talk about Home Alone. Can I do that? Any Home Alone fans out there? Yeah, of course. Come, yeah, it's great. It's the best. Aside from the Muppet Christmas Carol, it's the best Christmas movie. Anyway, so um, if you watch, if you really watch Home Alone, you know, for the 50th, 100th time, and you're paying attention to it, in the middle of the movie, Okay, when things are a little tense and he's kind of maybe anxious and lacking hope knowing his house is about to get broken into and he knows the plan. Where does he go? In the church, right? Maybe you never thought of this scene, but, uh, you know, it's highly intentional by the directors. He goes to a church, okay? And as he walks into this church, behind him is this angelic choir singing, O Holy Night. The stars are brightly shining, etc. And as he sits there, he himself is estranged from his family, right? The last words he says was, I wish my family would disappear, and they did, right? And of course, he sits next to this old man, whom also is estranged from his family. Now, with this music playing in the background, singing in this in the vaulted ceiling sanctuary, they start talking about reconciliation, how to be reconciled to the family that they're both estranged from. Now, very quietly, okay, the director is trying to get our attention to say, well, where is he? Whoa. Got our attention. Is, where is the ultimate hope for this story going to lie? What is the ultimate purpose of this story? It's not about the robbers and all the comedy and all of that, right? Because when the story ends, there is reconciliation. And what story, though, is kind of shaping that reconciliation, right? Where, where was the hope kind of found? It was quietly found in this church, quietly found as you're singing about the coming of Christ, right? Kind of quietly saying, maybe it is the gospel story, the Christmas story, that can, that can shape, you know, Kevin's hope here in the, in the very conclusion of this story. And, and that movie kind of lives quietly in that story. And that's where we're going to look at Mary this morning, who is actually living also in the story of the coming of Christ. We're going to look at how it shapes her, her response to this. Look at what I think Luke wants us to see this morning is an opportunity for you and I to also play a part in this good news that is still breaking into this world, that is still good news today, that is, that is still showing up today. And like Mary, we're also called to play a part in this. And so we're going to look at how that's the case this morning. So beginning in chapter 1, in verse 26, on the very bottom of page 1012 there, we're, we're jumping in after, if you remember the story of Zechariah, that's already kind of happened here. So this is about six months after Zechariah. We saw him two weeks ago. After he was confronted with the angel uh, Gabriel, the same angel shows up about six months later 
beginning of verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and this virgin's name was Mary. Now, Mary has no real significance, meaning, you know, if you remember from Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had kind of a pedigree, you know, from an important family. Um, They had, you know, some of that status that would have been important in those days. Uh, Mary's, uh, the the guy she's engaged to, he has some status, the family of David, the other important family. Mary, we know nothing about really her family. We don't know much. She's just this teenager. She's probably 15-ish at this point, something along those lines. And she's living in an unimportant place called Nazareth, okay? Uh, nobody, there's nothing that's come out of Nazareth of any significance in, in Israel's history. She's just this teenager living in this ordinary place. And God shows up to her, sends the angel Gabriel, and he speaks to her. In verse 28, this is what he says. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Um, uh, highly favored, we're going to dive deep in that phrase here in a minute, but all throughout scripture, same response. The angel shows up, you're freaked out. People get scared, just like we Zechariah did, right? That would happen to us as well. So Mary's kind of confused, like, I, I'm favored? Okay, what does that mean? Like, how am I favored, right? Well, and why am I favored, right? Maybe she asked that question. If we were her, we probably would have as well. But in verse 30 here, the angel says, don't be afraid. It's okay. Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, most of your translations, if you read here the NIV, it says favor, right? But, you know, the Bible wasn't written in English, if you guys didn't know that. And the word used for favor here is the same exact word that grace comes from, charis. So some translations, there's only a handful really, but they still translate this, you have found grace with God. In other words, to find favor and to find grace from God, it's the same exact thing, okay? But what does that mean? to find favor with God. Now, you know, for, for those who are entering into their Christian faith, um, you find that the grace of salvation, right, that is given to you, it's a gift. Um, I think Mary is already chasing after God at this point. I, I think she's already kind of um, has that faith in God. So as she's doing so, as a, as a faithful follower of God, he says, there's grace given to you right now, Mary. You have found grace with God. You have found favor with God. So how do we define that? And here's where it's very important to let scripture define it, okay? Because we as Americans may have lots of ideas of what it means to find grace or favor in our life, okay? Like win a lottery ticket, favor, that's great, you know? Or you get, you know, more money or you get the, a larger home that you can afford or some kind of promotion. Or, just think of the American dream, whatever that is, okay? Um, it, it, that's how we would normally say, man, you, you, you got a lot of favor in life. You're really, you're killing it at the American dream. And that dream shapes all of us, okay? We know that. But we, we have to be very careful 
and just let scripture actually speak to us and and that phrase the grace of God for those who are following after him for people who you know are trying to be faithful in their lives to Jesus what does it mean to then receive grace from God I just want to name a couple of instances because it's named all throughout the New Testament Um, in Acts chapter 11 um, when uh, Barnabas showed up in Antioch in Acts 11 23 and he saw people who uh, did not know Jesus become Christians their lives began transformed he saw all the work that God was doing in their midst and he went and it says in verse 23 in Acts chapter 11 when he came and saw the grace of God he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord Acts 13, same author, this is Luke here, in verse 42, Paul and Barnabas saw many um, become Christians, and as they spoke with them, they urged them to continue in the grace of God. You receive grace, continue in the grace of God, or continue in the favor of God. Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace, same word, favor, given to us let us use them if prophecy in proportion to faith and he continues on in this list here in this instance grace received from God are the kinds of of gifts the kinds of ways he empowers us from the Holy Spirit to then live out this new life in Christ that we've received so I could go on to dozens of more examples but in the New Testament right um, uh, the grace and favor of God with those in his family is clearly you know, in the life of the Christian, it is participating and continuing in the work of God in this world. And that's called grace for us. That's important to think about. Because there's a part of this that says, well, who, who are we that have a, a chance to, to play a, some kind of, to be used by God in this world? Right? Who are, who are we? The idea of the God of the universe and his plan in this world and in his actions in this world that he knows us. As David says, his, his thoughts that are aimed to us, we can never count them. And that he actually has us in mind when he is at work in this world to say, I, I, I need you to do something. I have certain gifts to empower you to do it. I, I have a calling for you in this world and we all need to become more like Jesus and want others to see Jesus and 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 we're at work to see other people meet Jesus and all of this is called the the favor and grace of God to live out and that is how scripture defines it you have found grace with God Mary God has a great thing that he wants to use you for now lots of spiritual crises happen in our lives I think when we conflate the American dream as if that's God's favor in our lives. Because the American dream will fail us. And when it does fail us, when it is absent and things go awry in our life and we conflate that thinking, well, that's God's work. When that fails us, then we feel like God failed us, right? And that's a different sermon perhaps for a different day. But I think you and I, we aren't as, as, as sensitive or as in awe to this as we really could be. To truly know the God of the universe who sent his son into this world. To see this story of this very ordinary teenage 
girl suddenly receiving this gracious favor from God to to actually be the mother of the Messiah, right? And look all throughout the New Testament and say, God is at work in using these ordinary people who he is just unleashing the grace upon them to say, there's work to do in your local community to be the light of Jesus to them. And there's grace upon you and favor upon you to be used for this. This is an awe-inspiring message and it's still good news. It's awe-inspiring because if you have a a self-realization, self-awareness, you know that you aren't deserving of that. We know that we're sinful people with numerous shortcomings. It's all inspiring if you truly know the power of the death of Jesus to forgive our sins. It's all inspiring to truly know that the same spirit that rose from the dead now dwells in us and is remaking us and refashioning us. And it's all inspiring to say, for, for God to say to us, yes, you are now in my family. You're reconciled to me. I love you and I have equipped you to be my ambassador in this world and to use you for my good purposes. Now in that perspective, we can say, wow, what a grace in my life. What a favor in my life. I want to dive deeper into this grace and favor that is in Mary's life in verse 31. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. That name means the one who will save. Same name as Joshua, right? You will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. So this child to be born will be named Jesus. He will be great, right? This miraculous conception, his father will be God himself. He will receive this throne that has been empty for generations of a Davidic king. He will receive that throne. He will reign over his people, Israel, and his kingdom will never end, right? This is all language looking back to the beginning of our Bibles in the Old Testament, looking back to saying God has been working for centuries and for generations, right, culminating into this moment that this young teenage girl has a treasured role to play. It's all happening as God foretold through the prophets, as Gabriel is basically saying here. It's all happening. Now, Scripture's clear that when God says something is going to happen, his word does not go out void. Has anybody ever tried to, you know, you're standing in line, there's this long line behind you, and you swipe your debit card, and it says, no money. And that cashier's like, oh, there's no money. You're like, oh, try it again, there's money. She's like, no, there's not any money. Everybody's staring at you, and you're like, oh, this is slightly embarrassing, right? So what happened to you before? Yeah. So you're getting the lovely looks from people behind you, right? But the idea of the whole situation is you've committed to purchase something, by putting it on that belt and the cashier arranges it and you failed at your commitment. There's nothing to back it. You can't do it. It's not going to be made with that same imagery. When God says something, it's backed up by he himself who never fails, his word that never fails, and it is and will going, it will come to pass. That's the idea that Isaiah speaks of, of his word never going out void. And all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And this is what Gabriel is telling Mary in this story. But Mary has an honest question, as I think is a very 
expected question. Verse 34, how would this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, since I am not married, I've never been with a man, how will this be? Now, a few weeks ago, Zechariah, when he was approached to Gabriel, um, he, and his wife to be also conceived miraculously in late age, he said, how will I know this? Indicating a lack of faith. Give me a sign. How will I know this? But Mary asked a very different question. How will this be? Right? How will this be? And the angel answers her in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. If you remember last week, we talked about how she was in seclusion. She didn't tell anybody. Mary didn't even know that her relative in her old age was having this child. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38 is kind of the key verse here I want to look at. Lots of people responded very differently in the Bible when God said they're going to do something through them, right? You have Gideon who just asked for sign upon sign upon sign. You have Abraham that kept just kind of conversing and, and pushing God, like, will you really do this? Or what? You know, these are all different responses. I, I think Mary's response here is one of the most amazing in all the scriptures. Because you think of a 15 year old girl being told, you're about to just be pregnant right now from the Holy Spirit. You're not married yet. You think of it's a bit scandalous. Let's be honest, it's a bit scandalous. And she, she knew what people might think. What would her fiance say, right? Oh, by the way, hubby, um, I'm. I'm pregnant, and uh, I know we're not married yet, but the Holy Spirit, you know, Gabriel showed up. He told me all this, but we'll see what Joseph's response was next week, right? I mean, we knew this is, this was a lot for her, for this young teenage girl to accept and to absorb and to say yes to. Look at her response in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She just quietly kind of submits herself to God's work and says, yes, okay, I'm here to serve. Whatever you would like, may it be. That's some amazing faith in Mary. I think there's a quality where Luke kind of wants to kind of see Mary here and say like, this, this is pretty amazing faith for a 15-year-old girl, right? That we can see is like, wow, that's quite amazing, Right? But again, Mary didn't earn this work of God in her life. Her faithfulness wasn't, you know, given a reward perhaps of, that's why this favors the same word as grace, right? Uh, Nothing in life could have merited her being the mother of Christ, right? But this is our important note here that I wanted to, to, to kind of put a hard stop to here and just kind of slow down here. It is clear that Mary and her faith looks to God, looks to his plan, look at his work in this world, and she says, I'm submitting myself to it. May it be, I'm here to serve. If you're serving, there's one in authority over you, and Mary says, may it be according to your word, I am your servant. So to kind of stop right here, the question I want to ask you this morning is, what authority in life are you ultimately serving? What authority in life are you ultimately serving? As we're going to see, when we, by the grace of God, are caught up in God's story, in this story of the good news, his spirit does fashion us to be more and more like 
Jesus, and so I, I think we can look at things in our life when we ask a really honest question, right? What authority do I live beneath? I think indicators we can look in our life to kind of, you know, get answers. Things like our character, our passions, what excites us, things like where our hope is found or what our fears are, where our anxiety is in life. I think if we take a hard look at those things, we can kind of put our finger on who or what is my authority? Who or what am I serving in life? Our society today is trying to do this whole civilization, nation thing um, with no belief in God. And if you take away belief in God, there is a vacuum of authority. There's a vacuum of authority. And we're seeing all sorts of entities and other stories trying to fill that vacuum of authority in our nation to then provide meaning and purpose and answers of why we exist and et cetera and so forth that is calling people to come and serve, right? As human beings, I firmly believe and scripture testifies to this that we're all in need of an authority, it's the people who, when they rise to the level of some kind of power and they themselves say, like, I'm on top, I serve no one, we, you know, we kind of have the, the, the little red flag that goes off and is like, oh, this may not go well for this person. That person's a little arrogant, right? We, I think we have that indicator inside of us because as human beings, we all need to, we're, we're a creation, right? We all need to be beneath authority of someone, And as our society more and more has lost its grasp, one of the major messages are you are your own authority. Your feelings, right? Your own heart. Those are the the things that you need to ensure that just kind of bow before and say, you know, how can those surface in the most expressive way possible? And that's, I'm my own authority. And I've said this numerous times and read from the book of Romans chapter three. um, We are not sufficient to be our own authority. Because we're sinners. Romans 3 goes off this whole long list, like, you know, and jumping in the middle of an argument here, Paul says, are any Jews better off than Gentiles or than Greeks? Are this people group better than that people group? And he says, no, because we're all under sin in Romans 3. All of us. It doesn't matter what, where you are from in the world, what race of people or ethnicity you have. It doesn't matter because we're all sinners. There's something broken in all of us. Paul quotes verse, uh, in verse 10 in Romans, quoting in the book of Psalms, no one is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, nobody naturally seeks after God, right? So to live, to find salvation in Christ and to be filled with the Spirit, it enables us. We start finding um, uh, what it means to have life beneath God and in his kingdom and in his authority. Because in his kingdom and his authority, there's indications well, when the kingdom is in its fullness, there is no fear there. Where Jesus is crowned king, where the spirit of God works and fills, we have the assurance that even in this broken world, when life is hard, confusing, challenging, difficult, we have available to us a peace that surpasses understanding that guards our hearts and minds for Christ Jesus. We have uh, access to incredible courage and boldness to find joy and contentment and peace and no fear. All available to us through God's very spirit that even in the face 
of sickness, hardship, even death and loss because we know that God has not forsaken us. We know that he is with us, that he who is with us is far greater than than, than any who are against us, that he is good and that he is our anchor to cling to with all hope. That is the kind of life that is available in the kingdom of God that we see Mary tapping into with her extraordinary faith. If he is our authority, yes, we receive a glimpse of that life. We can receive a glimpse of that life. Now, if you're here and you're like, I'm actually pretty anxious this morning. Like, I actually feel like I'm in a lot of fear. There's a lot of question marks in my life that I'm, I have a hard time sleeping. I, you know, I, I have that. I get it. I'm not, I don't want to paint a picture that says Christians don't struggle with these things. I'm only trying to paint a picture that says there's a possibility through the supernatural work of God in your life to actually find answers to them and to not struggle with them. And that's the good news of the kingdom, right? That even in our suffering, there's a possibility of finding healing from those things. That those things can be driven out in our life. Because I often think that, 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 you know, stress and anxiety and things that so many feel today, it ultimately surfaces in our life. And I've struggled with these things myself when I feel like that, you know, here's my world in my own hands and things are clearly are slipping out of my hands like I can't just put them in my box and have like my control anymore they're slipping out they're falling out and that's when my anxiety comes up that says how can I somehow fix this issue and I have a million thousand solutions that speed through my mind that keep me awake at night that says maybe if I do this or 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 do this I can make it all go away has anybody is that anybody gone through that before yeah I see people that are shyly yeah me too yeah that's because we've looked into ourselves as our own authority. And this, if we look at Mary and just listen to what Scripture teaches, it says, let, you have to let go. You're not in control of your life. And that's actually good news because there's one who is in control in your life. And he's asking us to find the freedom of submission to him to say, I'm your servant. I need you, God. You guys here this morning? You guys hearing this? You guys awake, yeah? You hearing this? This is part of the good news of Advent, right? This is part of the good news of Advent. So the story continues on here with Mary. Uh, We won't look at the scripture deeply. We'll look at Mary's response to Elizabeth. We saw this last week. Um, Mary runs to be with Elizabeth, right? Um, She wants to hang out with the other woman who had a miraculous, you know, pregnancy as well from the same angel, et cetera, and so forth, who communicated to Elizabeth, communicated to her. And so she wants to go spend time with her relative. And in verse 39, we see this. It says, Mary got up ready, got ready and, and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home, who was still mute to this point. And greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she said, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. And why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. You can listen to the sermon last week if you missed it. We looked at Elizabeth's response here, right? But Luke clearly is just continually pointing to Mary's faith, right? He wants us to see her faith here. And now Mary gives out a song of praise. Mary responds with a song of praise. In church history, this has become known as the Magnificat, okay? 
So there's some really important themes that surface that we're going to close with today in our sermon in this song of praise. And some of your scriptures you'll see, it's like indented. This is like a poem, okay? Mary's a poet. She goes out into some poetry here. And, you know, we, we surmise that you know, when Luke recorded this, he probably sat with Mary and got firsthand her story, right? And so this is, you know, a, a firsthand account here. And so verse 46, Mary responds like this. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who will fear him from generation to generation. So Mary is God's servant, and her inmost being gives him glory. That's a very Christianese word. It can sound like giving glory to something. We don't have a lot of language for that in our secular culture today, but the idea of giving glory is giving something supreme value and worth. Saying, you, you are the supreme value of my soul, right? That's what she's giving to God. He has been mindful of her this servant of God, even in her humble state, in her very ordinary state. You've been mindful of me, God. You give me grace. You give me favor in my humble state to be a part of this, right? And he has graced her with something that all generations after would call her blessed. I think all the moms out there, wouldn't it be a grace to be the mother of Christ, right? And I think you would say yes, right? She's very blessed, and we see this. And so it continues on in verse 51, as her heart is focused on God. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. If you were to graph this out, if you're super nerdy and like, you know, getting, um, breaking down like poetry and doing like discourse analysis, maybe there's like one of you out there. Um, you can see that she's comparing and contrasting, comparing and contrasting three different times, right? And there's a series of reversals that God is up to, okay? And to get even more nerdy, the, the verb here used in the Greek is always in reference to the past, and this is important, it's interesting. She's, she's talking about what God already has done while she's actually expressing his present work and also thinking of his future work because as we said, what God has done in the past, he is an unchanging God and his actions don't change. We only have a reason to look back and see what he has done before to gain hope for our future. That's what Mary is doing here as she talks about this work of God and these series of reversals that he is doing. Rather than breaking all of these things down, I think Luke wants us to see that these categories, okay, of people are the kind of people that later, if you were to read the whole gospel of Luke, they are the ones that oppose Jesus, the proud, right? Often kind of the same person, arrogant, wealthy rulers and powerful people who were actually actively oppressing others, they are the ones who rejected the message of Jesus. And it shows the result of the gospel of the, this good news of the kingdom that is breaking into this world. It shows the result of it amongst our societies that God's work subverts the work of the world. 
It's subverting how things work in our world. We know that our society exalts proud, powerful, wealthy people. They somehow find platforms to become our role models. And we know this, right? Um, Why are celebrities somehow experts on all these obscure topics? Because they're rich and they're powerful and they're wealthy and somehow they know everything. And we bow to them and say, whatever your opinion is becomes, I guess, some expert opinion, even though you're just an actor, right? But we put them on pedestals, right? And we elect people into political positions of power who express the most confidence and the most arrogance, right? And all of them are millionaires half the time. And this is the way most societies have worked for all of time. There's nothing new with this. But God's in the business of subverting all of that. Who are, he's looking for the ordinary people and he's exalting those, those of humble estates. And he's going to bring down those who glory in themselves. Those people who trust in their own power or their own wealth or their own riches. God is actively pursuing subverting them with the good news of his kingdom and says, I'm, I'm, I'm about crafting a different kind of person here through my spirit. People who recognize me as their creator God. People who find humility like was found in my son. Right? And this is the kind of work that he is doing in this world. The hope of Advent, right, is, is wrapped up in this. Um, you think of the whole story okay of advent like who who has nativity scenes in their home right what's the centerpiece of nativity scene jesus there's one behind me here right they're all looking down everybody's looking down of course every nativity scene ever made everybody's attention is focused on the christ child now let's be real about that image there's a baby that was given birth from a 15 16 year old girl and he's sitting in an animal feeding trough and this happened like in a barn where there's animals around. And we say, this is the savior of the world. This is our God. That's quite the story. It really honestly is quite the story. It's a humbling story. But that is how God chose to bring himself into the world. And we are the ones, right? If you're a Christian this morning, we're pointing to, we're pointing, you know, telling others in the world, saying, look at the humility of our God. Look at the good news that he showed up. And this is how he brought himself into the world. And so questions surface, right? As God uh, calls us as a church to, to chase after him, things like, do you, do you treasure humility? If this story is to shape us like it did Mary, like it did so many others, do you, do you treasure humility? Are you shaped by humility? Right? Um, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If I tapped on those people that are close to you in your life, um, would they have a testimony of your humility in life? Um, don't tap my kids' shoulders, please, and ask that question. Um, they may hear, you may hear others otherwise, right? Because we all struggle with these things, you know? Um, in verse 54, it says here, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Even as he said to our fathers, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. As you said before, Mary closes her song of praise. God remembered his work came through. His promises came to fruition. He remembered to be merciful. As he said, he would be. It's all coming to fruition. So as we close, how do we wrap all these pieces up? How do we wrap this story up? 
Here's the best I can do this morning. God seeks to give his people unmerited grace and favor to all play a part in the good news of his kingdom breaking into this world, the good news of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to break that down, that statement down, by asking questions like this. What would God ask you to do this Christmas season? Or asked a different way, how can you or how will you be a part of the good news of Jesus this season? How can your life embody this story that we're looking at? Jesus was born, he lived and he died and was raised for you. But as we said many weeks in a row now, the story of Advent, it's it's still a present day Advent. He's still breaking into this world in our own lives today. I know what he wants to do, generally speaking, if I can paint a broad stroke, scripture's clear what he wants us to do. He wants you to make much of Jesus Christ in your life. He wants you to make much of Jesus Christ in your family, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your singleness, and being a student. Wherever you are in life, he wants you to be like Jesus and he wants to empower you to do the very things that he did while he was here as an ambassador of the good news. So so the challenge I think we can get from this is to see Mary humbly submitting herself to the work of God in this world the work that glorifies Jesus Christ, that scripture says the spirit of God only wants to keep pointing us back to Jesus. I challenge you, how can we be a part of the good news this Christmas season? Paul's favorite phrase is in Christ. He says it so many times in all of his letters. You are in Christ. If you're a Christian, you're in Christ. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. His story becomes your story. So if Jesus is the good news, you get to be in his good news as you live and other people see the good news through you. It can be things like sharing the good news with your neighbors. It can be things like ceasing those destructive habits in your life and finding more ways and opportunities to serve those around you rather than opportunities to serve yourself. To finally turn from those selfish outbursts of anger. Maybe you realize that you do have a life of pride and whatever position or wealth of accomplishments you have in your own life and needing to repent of those things that you found so much identity in them. Maybe God may call you to be extraordinarily generous to this church or to someone financially or with your time this Christmas season. Um, Finding somebody in the hospital and going and spending time with them. I don't know how God may challenge you. Um, You know, he may call you to, to actually reconcile that estranged family member or friendship and relationship in your life. So others around may see, wow, that's, why would you do that? And you have an opportunity to then tell them about Jesus and how he reconciled you to God. Maybe for some of you, it's finally bending your knee and becoming a Christian for the very first time. Saying, I want that faith of Mary. I want to be a part of this. I've been living in other stories that are destructive for so long. I want to be, I want to be a part of this. I want Jesus to save me from my own sins. Maybe that's you this morning. And Christmas is a great time to finally walk in new faith in Christ. We think of that Home Alone movie, right? And it ended with that reconciliation. And uh, as you see the old man hugging his family, unless you're a robot, you cry. I mean, come on. Who doesn't get a little teary-eyed watching the end of Home Alone, right? But that's how the story concludes. It concludes with, you know, his, his life being shaped by some of the things that we see in the gospel and find hope in. And my question for you is, 
um, if God speaks to you and calls you and how he calls you to be a part of this good news this Christmas season, will you respond like Mary saying, I'm your servant. Let it be according to your word. Um, I want to take a minute, call Joel up if I can, the rest of the worship team up as well. It's my passion and heart for this church to truly be that lighthouse for the gospel. And that's why I felt so led to challenge you with a story this morning. And I want to take a minute for all of you. You have faces. You're all in so many situations in life. You, uh, so many in this room. And um, I know that we're all called as ambassadors of the good news. And I want to give a minute for God to speak to you this morning. That he may call you to, um, to respond to him in a certain um, act of love, a grace, or, or uh, evangelism to somebody in your life, or whatever it might be. And so uh, they're going to play just a little quiet music behind us. Um, just sit and say, Lord, how, how can I be an example and a representation of you to those around me this Christmas season? So can we just take a minute and quiet and pray and just ask, Holy Spirit, speak to us, challenge us, Lord. This is good news. It's such good news. We get to be a part of it, Lord. You saved us, Lord, of your own grace. Lord, give us the grace this morning of just knowing, you know, uh, a, a way that we can live this out in our life, Lord. Challenge us out of our comfort zones. Lord, maybe be sacrificial in our giving, in our time, in our money, in our love. Lord, for some, it's just a matter of giving over their anxiety to you. Just saying, Lord, I need to be your servant and no longer a servant of myself. I know someone in this room this morning has just hidden sin that they've been sitting on for far too long. And they need to turn from this morning and repent and walk away from it and its destruction in their life. Jesus, may we be people of the gospel this morning. May many see your love and your power and your light through us this Christmas season, through this church this Christmas season. And so for any of you who heard, saw faces, whatever it might have been in their mind as they were praying, um, we don't have a time of prayer now to come forward if you would like or to stay seated and maybe sing here at the end as well. People will be available for prayer. Um, I always push us to respond to God. We're of the conviction here at Emmanuel that he actively speaks, that he is speaking, that he is not a, a, uh, you know, a, a distant God but is very near to us. So don't leave here this morning without responding to him. Don't leave this morning without responding to him. So people be available for prayer. We're going to worship at this time.